Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. A dismal derby, Ancelotti gets the better of Lampard, Brendan Rodgers is a bona fide genius and Arsenal are going down to the Championship. I'm Dan Burke, this is the Premier League Weekend Review Podcast and I'm joined this week by Phil Costa Hello. and Joel Sanderson-Murray. Hello. So with the title contenders all dropping points this weekend, do you think we might actually have a decent open title race coming our way this season, Phil? Or do you not care at this point? <laughs> <laughs> Hello darkness, my old friend. No, it's, um, actually, I'm, I'm quite looking forward to it being a bit more open this year mm-hmm. um i mean obviously the last few years have kind of been you know liverpool city and everyone else um so you know it's good to mix things up a bit even though spurs are sort of the ones looking a bit more promising Ooh, at the moment. yes but, yes um but yeah why not why not it's good good for the league what about you joel are you enjoying it or or do you prefer it last year when liverpool were just running away with it basically yeah no absolutely not i'm not enjoying it no <laughs> I, I was looking forward to winning yesterday and then winning against Spurs on Wednesday, being five points clear and, and the title probably being boxed off. But um, that's not the case, is it? That could be the case this year. <laughs> I'm quite enjoying my team being in mid-table again, actually. It's uh, it's a lot less stressful. I'll, I'll give it that, yeah. Anyway... <laughs> Anyway, we'll uh, we'll start at the Emirates this week, where Arsenal were booed off by their own fans on Sunday after they were beaten 1-0 by Burnley. That's their fourth home defeat on the bounce. Phil, I'll ask you a pretty broad question to start this one off. Who's more at fault for Arsenal's predicament at the moment? Is it Mikel Arteta or the players at his disposal? Well, it's just a, a nice mixture of everyone, really. <laughs> um, Arteta is obviously at fault. He's the one picking the team. You know, He's the one picking the same useless players that don't do anything every week. Um and it's quite strange because he was, you know, when he first came in, he was very strong on, you know, culture and the non-negotiables and, and sort of promoting a meritocracy. And then and every week we see Willian and Lacazette starting. So, mm. you know, there's not really much consistency with that messaging. Um, but for sure, the, the players need to look at themselves because there was, you know, so much hiding on that pitch on, on Sunday. And, you know, when you're getting carried by a 19-year-old, um, it's just pretty embarrassing, really, for everybody involved. So, you know, it's just a mixture of everyone. Of course, Arteta has to take the blame, but some of these players need to look at themselves and think, like, what are we doing? Because yeah. you know, these are seasoned professionals and internationals and they're just embarrassing themselves. Mm. Well, Granit Xhaka deserves a big slice of the blame for this particular defeat after he was sent off in the second half for grabbing Ashley Westwood by the throat. You could tell he knew he'd done something very, very silly straight away, couldn't you, Joel? Yeah, and and, and the thing is, he can't have any complaints, can he? Um, I mean, to be honest, at first, when I first saw the actual incident in, in real time, I didn't think it was going to be a red card offence, and mm. obviously when you put down slow motion, you, you can't raise your, your hand to a, to a professional's face, can you? And mm. my, 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 and I was still a bit questioning it because the referee couldn't could see it directly. He was looking directly at it, and he didn't see it a red card until he actually went to look at it in the monitor, which is a bit bizarre. But it's it just this. I mean, it's not the worst case of violent conduct I've ever seen, and probably not the worst thing that Granite Jack has ever done on the football pitch, to be honest, but it's it's just one of them where it's just stupid, and it came at a time where Arsenal actually looked like they were going to do something in the game. They created a good few chances at the start of the second half, and there was starting to be a little bit of momentum, probably the first time in weeks, and if it's going to do that, it's just, oh, it's just, it's just brain dead, and it, yeah. you know, I, I wonder whether that, you know, 
might be it for Jacker Arsenal now. It probably should be, to be fair. But... <laughs> for the third time, that might be it for Granit Xhaka at Arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's now 12 hours and 32 minutes since Arsenal last scored a Premier League goal from open play and uh, Aubameyang scoring that own goal was just the icing on the cake, wasn't it, Phil? Oh, yeah, especially from a cross as well. Yeah. You know, it was just... <laughs> Seriously, you, people always say, oh, you can't write this stuff, but it's literally what every script writer <laughs> would write. Um, yeah, it's just bad. But yeah, Joel's right. Well, I mean, we came out in the second half and we were actually quite decent. Um, you know, we had like a, a flurry of, of sort of half chances. Uh, we tested Pope and then, you know, just just to do that is just, especially after what Pepe did uh, yeah. and wrote a few weeks ago. It's just like, what are you? doing genuinely and there was no there was no need for him to do it either it was you know it was you know and he he fouled the guy and for some reason he just wanted to get into that that melee for some reason it was just so pointless Mm. um but yeah as soon as he went to the monitor you you knew it was going to happen so um there are some big big issues all over the pitch not just uh, in front of goal but for sure in front of goal you know, it's it's dire watching Arsenal at the moment. So, and I'm not really sure what changes. Yeah, well, just two goals in his last 12 games for Obama Yang, and for Lacazette, it's one in the last 11. Joel, do you think Arsenal are likely to to try and uh, address that issue in the transfer window at all and bring in a new striker? Maybe uh, January is always a weird time to, to buy a player in any position, and mm. it doesn't always work straight away. So, I'm not quite sure what they're going to be able to do in January, or whether they even have the money to do any business in January. Um, I, I can't think of what, what the solution for Arsenal at the moment is that, you know, I, I was speaking to a, you know, an Arsenal fan last night after the game and I just wonder whether, you know, and no manager ever does this at any time when they're going through a crisis, but is it maybe just time to maybe, you know, give the Europa League team that, you know, the younger lads are more of a go in the Premier League and, and see what they can do because, you know, as Phil has mentioned there, Arteta seems to be sticking with Willian and, and Lacazette and, and they don't seem to be producing that. And to be honest, they've been dire. Um, and I, ju- I just wonder, I, I don't know what Eddie has got to do to get a game in the Premier mm-hmm. League and, and start a run of games this season. I mean, he, he got a run of games last season towards the end of the, the campaign and he didn't do he did himself justice. He didn't do any harm to himself. And uh, it's just, I just wonder whether, you know, it's not got the money to do any business in January. Did he just... They put a few senior players in, the likes of David Louise and uh, Bamiang, and but then you know fill out a couple of young players around the sides and and, and give them a go because I don't think it'd do any worse than what the, the current eleven are doing. And they've got some good young attacking players there as well. I, I mean, East Nelson's maybe not a, a youngster anymore, but I wonder whether he can do some business and you know Emil Smith Rowe. There, there there are there are grains of hope for Arsenal fans to cling on to there, but. Sadly, it's not in their starting eleven or even the, the eighteen that's getting picked at the moment, but maybe around the sides. Yeah, is uh, is Fowler in Balogun the answer to Arsenal's prayers then, Phil? What for us to get him a nice run of games and then lose him for free in the summer? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, everywhere you look, there's problems. Oh, well, well, Lewis half joked on the podcast last week that Arsenal could could get dragged into a relegation battle if they're not careful. They're 15th in the table. They've got Southampton, Everton and Chelsea in their next three games. How worried are you? Oh, very. <laughs> it's very much a, a, a reality now, a relegation battle. I can genuinely see zero points from nine in mm. those next three. Um, and it's not even controversial to say that. Yeah. Um, you know, I think I saw a stat this morning that said Southampton 
haven't won at Arsenal since 1987. And it was like, hold my beer, you know, get them in at the Emirates. <laughs> because, you know, we're just handing out three points to everyone at the moment. Yeah. So. Uh, a great result for Burnley though, Joel. They've still scored six goals this season, had 29 shots on target. So that's the lowest in the Premier League. Do you think this win might kickstart their season now or did they, did they ride their luck a bit in this game? It definitely rode their luck a bit. I mean, the, the thing is, you know, Arsenal probably should have been ahead before a red card, but as soon as a red card happens, Arsenal don't perform like a team should do when they're, when they're down to 10 men. Um, there is a way to do it. And, but Burnley took advantage of that, and Burnley always looked like they were going to score after that, which is a weird thing to say about a Burnley team. Um, but I, I, thought, I thought they were great, that you know, from minute 60 to 90 uh, mm. yesterday. Um, this is just what Sean Dyson and Burnley do every season. No, they do have tricky starts in the season or a tricky period where they, you know, they, they're dreadful and, and they don't pick up many points, but they're always capable of getting, you know, one nils here and there and it's not pretty to watch, but, you know, they've kept them in the Premier League for a, for a good couple of years now, so it's, you know, it's worked and maybe that will happen again because there are, I'd say, three teams that are worse than maybe even four. If you want to throw Arsenal into the mix now, four teams that are worse. Than God. <laughs> that was something... <laughs> was it? <laughs> uh, well, Fulham got themselves a rather unexpected point against Liverpool at Craven Cottage on Sunday evening. Fulham had a big shout for a penalty in the first half for a Fabinho challenge on Ivan Cavallero. Andre Mariner watched it on the monitor before deciding not to give it. Was that the right decision for you, Phil? Oh, I don't know. It was a, mm. it was a penalty for me, Clive. Um, <laughs> I think you can only really see it until it like really slows down. Um, because on first watch, it looked like Fabinho won the ball, but he goes through Cavalero's foot for me first um, to get the ball, which which is a foul by you know t- on a technicality. So mm. for me, it was a penalty, but I can understand why it wasn't given. But yeah. I think having had the chance to look at it again, I think it was a mistake. I think it was one of those where it, you've seen him given, but there was a, there was enough doubt there for it not to be a penalty for me. Like, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. yeah. Did you agree with that one, Joel? Were you, were you happy with that one? I mean, it, for the first like four or five times of watching it, I was like, oh, no, there's no way that's a penalty. But then after about the sixth time, I was like, ah, oh, yeah, maybe it is, you know. Um, but only when it was slowed down. So, I mean, maybe there's a question there if it's not clear and obvious that you know, they shouldn't be looking at that because... It took him you know, six, seven angles to have a look mm. at it or and get to slow motion before you think it is a penalty. But I think perhaps Liverpool did get away with one there. Um, I, I was fully expecting Mario to give it a penalty. Yeah, I was actually. Yeah. Screen, yeah. yeah. Are you happy with the uh, Fabinho Matip centre back partnership in general? I, mean, I know it's a question of needs must, but does, does it fill you with, with enough confidence? Um, I mean, yeah, I have to be happy with it because there's no other options at the moment, sadly. Mm. Um, they, I think they've been great together um, until. Yesterday, especially Fabinho at the centre half, he hadn't conceded a goal in open play um, while playing centre half. Um, so he's been he's taken that really, really well, you know. And you know, he's, he's played at right back in Monaco and Brazil, but he's, he is primarily you know a holding midfielder mm. or a guy you know number six in the four four two. He's not a centre back, but he's he's fitting really, really well. And Matt, Matip's great. The only issue with Joel Matip is is his fitness and is you know is a chance to stay away from injury but they've both been great together I mean, but yesterday I think the first half perhaps probably their worst, worst game together as a partnership because Fulham got in round the sides mm. very easily and very often but you know it's, they're, they're fine but 
let's just see if we can get to January and do some business, mm. to be honest. Mm. Uh, well, Fulham, they made a lot of signings in the summer. They look to me like a team that's really started to gel in recent weeks. Do you agree with that, Phil? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think they've got some some decent players there. I mean, obviously, the, the start to the season wasn't ideal, but... You know, I think Scott Parker figured out quite quickly that if you have some fast players in your team, you can do some damage in, in the Premier League. So they've put Cavalero up front instead of Mitrovic and they've got Lookman playing well and, and Gisa in the middle looks, you know, like a really decent player. So, you know, it's I still think they're one of the weaker sides in the league, but they actually played really well against Liverpool. And, you know, when you when you see things like that, it always gives you hope because, um, you know, when you look at the standard around you, you know, it's not apart from Sheffield United. There's no clear candidate to go down yet. So, for sure, they've, they've given themselves a, a fighting chance. Yeah, I thought uh, Ivan Cavallero was really good in this game as well. Loftus Cheek had a good game. Anthony Robertson's good at uh, left wing back for them. Um, Decodover Reed got the goal, didn't he? So they've they've got some quality in that team actually, which is mm-hmm. n- not something you would have said about them a few weeks ago. So I think it's been it's been quite a, a marked improvement from them. Um, that halftime tactical switch from Liverpool did did. Did that improve um, them in the second half, do you think, Joel? I mean, I'm still not sure where Jordan Henderson was meant to be playing. He was all over the place, wasn't he? <laughs> he was a woman, he was at centre back. The next minute he was in the other box, like nearly scoring a goal, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, again, I think that was it's most. I think it was just, let's just throw some lads out there and see what happens. <laughs> I couldn't tell what we were playing second half. Because the fullbacks kept it, switching over as well, didn't they? Which was kind of weird. Yeah, absolutely. And then, uh, you know, you see Arch and Alexander Arnold go off and Nico Williams comes on, but then even then they were switching positions. But, mm. I guess it did work because Liverpool got back into the game. Definitely didn't deserve to win the game, but I guess a point is probably fair for both sides. Um, if if Fulham had lost that game, it would have been you know, diabolical, to be honest. They, mm. they deserve much more. But I, I, I guess it did work. The, the thing is, Liverpool did improve second half, but I never felt like we, we peppered Fulham's goal. Mm. You know, Alfonso Arreola didn't make a number of, of saves. He did actually save one from Henderson, but other than that, and then the penalty, I, I can't remember testing too much in the second half. Um, but Liverpool just just did what they didn't get back into the game, and you know showed you know, to Robert Brendan Rodgers ism, and they showed great character to get back into that game <laughs> second half. But they never ever look like winning at any stage, and I, I don't think. But it's it's one of them where you know. I guess we we'll have to shake hands at 1-1 because Fulham deserved it. Mm. Well, Liverpool's injury crisis deepens with the injury to Diogo Jota. He's going to be out until February. How big of a loss do you think he'll be, Phil, especially when you know they've got Divock Origi coming off the bench as their like, striking option now? Yeah, I mean, it, he completely hit the ground running and, and he'll be a massive loss. But I kind of don't really have a lot of sympathy for, for Klopp because he played him in like a dead rubber Champions League game mm. and he's been complaining about the schedule and injuries for a couple of weeks now. So I don't know, for me, it was, a, it was a bit like knowing you're allergic to peanuts and still eating a peanut. So, <laughs> you know, there was, it, it didn't really make much sense to me that, that he played him at all. So you kind of always risk the run of, of players getting injured, mm. but of course it's, it's unlucky. I mean, it could have happened to anyone. It just happened to be Jota, but you know, uh, there were some reports going around that it was going to be a longer term one than two months. So I guess you have to take it on the chin and, and they've got Firmino there, I guess, even though he's not exactly uh, been prolific in the last, I don't know, six months or so. Mm. But I guess they know that system and hopefully if they can get Salah and Mane firing, you know, they shouldn't have too much to worry about. But yeah. for sure, it's a big loss. Well, Liverpool haven't won back-to-back games in the Premier League since, since October now. Is that a bit of a worry for you, Joel? Clop out? 
Yeah, maybe not to that extreme, but uh, no, it has to be a worry because you know Liverpool, you know they've also not doing well away from home at the moment um, this season anyway. But I guess, I guess it has to be. But the thing is, Liverpool are still second in the league, and, and and then could have been top yesterday, and and will go top on Wednesday if they do win. So it's you know let's not you know cram me over too much. But it's, I, it kind of feels with Liverpool at the moment is it's just. Trying to get to get to the barn as quick as we can because the, the amount of injuries we've got, there's there's no way Liverpool are going to win this league by playing um, incredible football and, and and being on top of the game each week because just haven't got the numbers to do it. Um, it's not like it's a miracle that Liverpool are still second in the league or in the title race because they've got a quality squad and strength and depth, so, so possibly should be. But these injuries are having an effect and are going to keep on having an effect as well. So it's. We're limping to the barn, but let's you know let's hope we get there. But it's it, it I, I'm a bit concerned about where what's going to happen the rest of the summer because the amount of games coming up. But mm-hmm. let's wait and see. No, let's wait and see. Uh, well, Crystal Palace held Tottenham to a hard fought one one draw at Selhurst Park on Sunday. Spurs have some chances to win this with uh, Vicente Guaita making some good saves at the death. But do you think a draw was a fair result in the end, dear Phil? On the balance of play, yes, I think so. I mean, Spurs. They didn't really dominate the first half, but they were they were comfortable. I don't think Palace troubled them too much. But in the second half, I really think they they sort of came back into the game and, and were you know really good. They were pressing Spurs in the middle, and when you get Zaha and Eze on the ball, you know they were they were causing some problems, especially down the left hand side. So I thought they were honestly quite well worth their equaliser. Mm. Um, but you know, there's always that you know did they score too early? Because as soon as that <laughs> goal goes in, Spurs kind of wake up again and. You know, the the first save that Guaita made from the Kane header was really good. And that free kick, you know, I thought it was going in. So he did an amazing job to sort of claw that out. And I think um, after the mistake, well, sort of mistake that he made to let the initial goal in, I think he responded really well. So um, in my opinion, they were worth the, the draw. Yeah. I mean, they'll probably feel like it's two points drop, but Spurs, are, they seem to have a swagger about them nowadays. Joel, do you think they're a team who look like they, they believe they can win the league more so than when Maurizio Pochettino was the manager there? Quite possibly, because they were always in the title race to an extent under Pochettino, and they're always there or thereabouts coming in the season, but I wonder whether they actually ever believed they would get over the line. Um, but I, I think so. It's it, it, interesting because... Um, Hoiberg did an interview after that, which got shown a match today, and he's, he's talking about all the teams who come to face Spurs now really want to beat them because they're the number one in the Premier League. And I just thought, well, he's got some cheek. But, um, <laughs> but, but Spurs, Tottenham players have never spoke like that in the past. They've never, because, you know, there is that old, you know, joke about being Spursy and that they'll do something Spursy. You know, I'm clinging on to that being the case this season, but they've, they've never ever spoke like they are the, the top team in the Premier League. and I just wonder whether they've got a bit of an environment and a mentality now where they do believe in themselves and they are having themselves a bit more because I definitely look at Hoiberg and the way you've seen him. Yeah. And he's, he's, it was kind of arrogant, but <laughs> yeah. that's what Jose Mourinho's been built on in the past and has worked for him, so maybe that's what they're built on this season. Yeah, I know what you mean. Like, to have been top of the league, well, we've played 12 games a season at the top of the league. It's like, calm down, lads. You've not won anything yet. <laughs> like, you're not, you're not, you're not the champions yet, but, uh, but I suppose, you know, it's one, like they say, you've, uh, you should dress for the job you want, not the job you have. So. <laughs> 
that's uh, that's the way to approach it, perhaps. Uh, both goals came from goalkeeping errors in this game. Jose Mourinho said afterwards that Hugo Lloris is the best goalkeeper in the league. He's not, though, is he? I mean, that's nonsense. But wh- wh- where do you think he ranks for you, Phil? <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like he, he kind of has to say that just yeah. to you know, back his players and whatever. But I don't think he's the best, but I think he's probably in the top three. Mm. Um, you know, it's probably Alisson, Edison and... And Larice for me, even though you know there's some like decent shouts for that tier below with like Leno and and Fabianski and all those guys. So um, De Gea, obviously, even though he's been a bit bit rank recently, mm. um, but yeah, I think it's just something that he sort of has to to say, um, especially because he's made a mistake. It's just a bit like right, we move on to the next one. You're still number one, blah blah blah. Mm. So you know, uh, I don't I don't think he he really believes that, but. You know, it's good to get it out in the open, even if you don't. <laughs> what about Guaita? Do you, is he is he up there with the, the best in the league? I mean, that was a, stu- uh, a stunning save from that dire free kick at the end, wasn't it? I think he's really decent. Yeah. Um, but like you said, is is it that he's playing for a sort of lower team where he's he's tested a lot more? Um, I'm not sure, but for sure his second half performance at Selhurst Park was really, really good. Mm. So it's Tottenham away at Liverpool in midweek. Perhaps we'll uh, we'll learn an awful lot about them there. How do you see that one going, Joel? I think it's going to be a dog of a game. To be honest, I'm not I'm not sure it's going to be pretty. Um, it, you know, looking at the basically the history of Jose Mourinho, but also this season what he's gone and done it, going facing against like title rivals or contenders. You know, he has gone a bit more conservative and then looked to hit the teams on the break. And it's worked suddenly because they've they picked up points in these games. I don't see any reason why he do anything, um, why he do anything different on, on Wednesday night. I think that's exactly what he'll try and do. And it'll be down to Liverpool to try and, you know, you know break down the wall and, and hope they, you know, they keep it tight at the other end. So I, I think it's not going to be a pretty game, but, you know, it might be a bit like a chess match, to be honest with you. Um, but we'll we'll, we'll see. I, yeah, I'm not. If anyone's turning and expecting it to be a four-three, they're going to be wildly disappointed. So. Mm-hmm. Well, I've been watching the Queen's Gambit on Netflix recently. I can tell you, chess matches can be very exciting. So uh, <laughs> look forward to that one. <laughs> Uh, 2,000 fans were in attendance at Goodison Park to watch Everton win 1-0 against Chelsea on Saturday night. That defeat ended Chelsea's 17-game unbeaten streak and they didn't manage a shot on target in the second half. Why do you think they were a bit toothless here, Phil? Uh, honestly, I'm, I'm not so sure. I mean, these sort of games can happen sometimes um, when it doesn't quite click for you going forward or for whatever reason. But, it, you know, I mean, Jerusalem, the game Havertz was there as well. I think they missed Ziyech. Um, obviously he's injured at the moment and I think he's really given them a lot um, especially from sort of wide areas and, and set piece deliveries where they've looked so strong with you know with Zuma turning into Shaquille O'Neal for set pieces <laughs> so um, but yeah I don't know I mean they just didn't really look at it from the start maybe that's some legginess after the congested fixture list or um, they didn't quite matched the the performance levels of that they have shown recently but yeah I mean it can happen Everton played quite well as well so I think it was more a one-off rather than something to worry about yeah injuries to Seamus Coleman and Luca Dean meant Everton's back four was comprised of four centre-backs but they did pretty well didn't they Joel yeah it's very very cool on to four <laughs> centre-backs but it, if it really worked I thought all four of them were great and and the way Everton was set up was great. They made it very, very difficult for Chelsea to get into their flow. And 
in, in recent weeks, Ancelotti's, you know, he's tried Alex Awobi there, he's at wing back, and he's, he tried Tom Davis at wing back, and it's Awobi's been all right there, but you know, it's the, the whole team's not quite worked with, with, with those two new positions, but it certainly worked on, on Saturday night. I, I don't think it's something that they'll do going forward regularly. Obviously, when they get uh, Ligardine and uh, Coleman back, they'll, they'll, they'll stray away from that, but. It's a it's a game it's a, pl- a game plan that works that one game when when the team the other team's gonna have you know, most of the possession and, and they were so hard to break down and as soon as, soon as you know they got the penalty and they scored I, I never ever thought Chelsea were gonna get back into it so it's it's fair play to the Blues yeah and uh, credit where it's due you know we didn't mention him in the, the list of the league's great goalkeepers there but Jordan Pickford had a decent game didn't he. I <laughs> <laughs> doing anything there wildly terrific. I he thought he made some pretty good saves. Decent saves. Well, Frank Lampard said afterwards, it is a long season and these people talking about us winning the league with the best squad, it's ridiculous. You have to look at the teams. They're winning it the last three or four years. They have wingers, strikers scoring 30 or 40 goals. There are squads who have won leagues and Champions Leagues and we are clearly not that. Are we letting him get away with that, Phil? Do you think that's a, a fair assessment of where Chelsea are at? Well, I don't know. I think he's feeling the pressure a bit with that quote mm. because yeah. obviously he's right about you know the players having insane individual seasons. I mean, like Salah at Liverpool, and you've got Aguero and Sterling at City, and you know there's always sort of a standout attacker for the, for those big title-winning teams. But I think when you look at their their options, like. Havertz, Werner, Giroud, Tammy Abraham, Ziyech, Pulisic. It's just like, that's easily 100 goals mm. in there, just yeah. in those in those six players or whatever. So, I don't know, maybe that quote was a bit rich. Um, and I think even elsewhere, if you look in midfield, they've got, and, and in defence, they've got some crazy depth. Um, and he spent a lot of money, so maybe, I don't think he, he can play that card, but... Again, maybe it's just a sort of public showing of taking some pressure away from his of his team. But I think that was very strong. Um, maybe they don't have the best squad, but it's definitely the in the top three uh, for me anyway. Yeah. Um, and I think it was a bit rich of him trying to play the underdog card when they've spent you know more money than everybody. Yeah, so. I, I sort of understand his point about um, you know they can't really be expected to hit the heights that Liverpool hit last season and City hit the season before, but they're probably, yeah, yeah, they're probably course, not going yeah. to have to, are they? So it's you know no one's getting a hundred points a season, I don't think, are they? So it's yeah, it, it does seem like he's feeling the pressure a bit there. Would, would you agree with that, Joel? Yeah, I mean, I think arguably they've got, they've got the best squad in the league, actually. I mean, but yeah, I do think he's maybe feeling the pressure of it. I think he, the expectation, he's had a, a season, his first season, where he didn't buy any players because he couldn't. And, he, he, you know, he was able to try and put some youngsters in and, and the pressure was completely off. No one expected anything of Lampard or, or Chelsea last season. But now, like Phil just alluded to, the money they spent, the players they brought in, if, if if Chelsea don't win even this season, or, and if they're not in the title race until you know April May and, and knocking on the door, Lampard's really really underachieved, and and you know there'll be questions about his job if that's the case because Chelsea should be up there this season and and they should be winning the trophy whether that be the FA Cup or whatever. But so if if that doesn't come to fruition, I, I think Lampard re- there should be some real questions about Frank Lampard's future to be honest. Mm. Uh, well Leicester are above Chelsea up to third in the table after they comfortably beat Brighton 3-0 on Sunday evening the job was all done in the first half here did you get the sense Leicester were really eager to take advantage of the teams around them dropping points Joel with that fast start 
Yeah, absolutely. They, they were great um, by doing so. I mean, Brighton have a chance to go ahead with Danny Welbeck and possibly should do so. Um, but, but Leicester, for the, the first 45 minutes, just completely swept them apart. And it's good to see James Madison back in form as well mm. because he's you know, been in and out so far this season of injuries. But he's a talented footballer and he, and he proved that last night. And But, but yeah, it, it looked like that was the case for Leicester because... They've had you know a couple of results recently where you know they've lost a form at home and you wonder whether you know the the, the blip is, is coming for them like it usually does with with a Brendan Rodgers team, um, but they, they've rode that out. They've had two good results in the bounce now, and you know fair play to them because obviously they end like end last season very poorly, and and you wonder whether you know hey, what's the ceiling for this team? Mm-hmm. You know, are they are they going to be the team that can challenge the top four? But Putting performance like that, I think, I think they can be. I think they can be in, in the question at the end of the season. Mm. It's been a long time since we called Brendan Rodgers a fraud, isn't it? A long, <laughs> long time. It's, it's coming, mate. Don't worry. It's coming. <laughs> uh, Jamie Vardy scored on his 222nd Leicester appearance, which means he's equaled a club record for appearances. Can either of you tell me whose record he equaled? Muzzy, is it? Correct. Oh. Mustafa is it himself, yes. Legend. <laughs> Joel with the trivia there. I was amazed that he was Leicester's all-time appearance record uh, appearance yeah. holder. Yeah, yeah, fair play. Uh, Leicester have got Everton, Tottenham and Man United in their next three games. Do you think they'll still be in the top four when those have been played, Phil? I mean, you wouldn't fancy playing Leicester, would you, at this point? I think Leicester are such a weird team to play because sometimes they can have like amazing results and then other times they lose at home to like someone terrible and you're just thinking, like, what is this? Yeah. Um, but big games, I don't know. I kind of get the feeling that big games suit Leicester. Um, because they've obviously Vardy is the ultimate counter-attacking threat, um, and especially when you put Harvey Barnes and you know Chengiz under or whoever on either side, you know that's that's a lot of pace and and direct play going forward. So I don't know. I, th- I it, it's so difficult to predict for them, but I, I would honestly fancy not, maybe not to win all of them, but they're definitely going to hold their own. And mm. you know, with Vardy up top, there's always a chance. You know, if you give him one, he's he's probably going to score it. So. Yeah. I, I just think they're quite suited to to the big games. Um, so yeah, I think looking at looking at the larger scale, I think for sure they they can still be in and around the top four for sure. Mm. Well, that's just two wins from twelve games for Brighton this season that leave them two points above the relegation zone. I mean, I would never have pegged them for relegation, but with some of the clubs down there starting to find a bit of form, do you think they should be worried about getting sucked in, Joel? They're a decent team, Brighton. I, I think you know we've touched big balls before. They play some decent football and. The underlying numbers are, are, are great, and, and they should be doing better than, than what they are. But there comes a time where they've just got to get some results, and I, I do wonder whether the I think the issue might be up front because they do create some good chances, and, and I just and I, I actually look at Neil Mopai and, and, and Welbeck and Aaron Connolly, and I, I think they're actually all decent players individually, and, and, and do work for the team. But I, I just don't know whether they're clinical or ruthless enough at this moment. Mm. Um, and and I wonder whether that's just going to be you know that's where Brighton are going to become unstuck this season, you know they're they're great in between both boxes and and probably one of the best teams down there for, for being great in between both boxes. But you know you've got to find a clinical edge at some point, and I, I worry whether they're going to be able to do that at any stage this season. Yeah, just, just as an aside for both of you, um, it's just something that occurred to me now. You know, we were talking a lot earlier in the season about how unpredictable this was and anyone can beat anyone and it's all a bit crazy. Do you think that's still the case or is it kind of levelled out a bit now and, and, and stuff is happening as you kind of normally expect it to happen? I don't know. I mean, 
still you get like one or two results every weekend that you think like, oh, okay, you know, yeah. that, that wasn't exactly how I thought it would go. But I think eventually, usually the 10 game mark is where people sort of find their right positions in the table. So I guess, especially over the Christmas period, it's going to be quite grueling for a lot of teams. So um, I think gradually now we'll see the, the table beginning to take shape. But for sure, I think there's more of a chance of an upset now in this season than, than it has been in the past. Mm. The greatest league in the world just got even greater. Is that what we're saying, basically, then? Yeah. <laughs> Get that on the tagline. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Southampton are in the top four after they comfortably saw off Sheffield United 3-0 on Sunday. They've had a brilliant season so far. What do you think Ralph Hasenhutl's changed to get them playing so well this year, Joel? It's, it's changed the, the mentality of the team. And, and the thing is with Southampton, I, I look at the, the players 1-11 to and I, I don't I don't think they're necessarily top half players. I mean, they may be apart from maybe Danny Ings. Um, and, and that's not to criticise them too much because they're all obviously decent Premier League footballers. But what what Harson sort of has done is that he's made them a, a, a team that plays above their means and they, they've always got a chance in games because of the way they press. And then in, I, I think they're probably, if not the best team at pressing in the league, they, they, I look at them sometimes and they press better than Liverpool. Mm. Um, especially the way they sort of make the opposition play into the middle and then they just absolutely whack them and you know I'd be concerned if I you know got Arsenal next I'd be I look at the way Arsenal play at the moment and Southampton get all over them I can't be Arsenal Southampton buzzing around me all the time <laughs> um, and, and that's what they do and that's why they've always got a chance in games because they will just leg you off the pitch mm. and and when you've got you know and Shea Adams improved this season when you've got Shea Adams and Ings up front there's always a chance they can just go stick one in the back of the net and and it's also with James Ward-Prowse. I, I'm not sure he does anything else apart from he's just got an incredible set-piece delivery. But it, it's probably one of the best uh, right foot in the Premier League because he, he, some of the corners and free kicks he puts in, it, it just asks him for one little glance to go in. And yeah. that always gives you a chance in games. But they've been great to watch Southampton. I, I do generally enjoy watching their football and, and when they're on live and, and get to see them. and I, I don't know whether they're going to be anywhere near the top four in the season. Probably more got a shot for top six, but it's great to see, especially when you lost nine 0 less last season. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they come well from there. After They've not so. looked back from that. Yeah, I was going to say you mentioned Che Adams though. It's nice to see a team sort of booking the trend and playing with two strikers in the in the modern game, isn't it? Absolutely. Maybe we're old fashioned, Danny. You know, yeah. we, we, we want to we see four four fucking two. And it, works. <laughs> but, you know, it is great, but it's exciting, isn't it? Because when you've got two strikers on the pitch, it's Always gives you a chance, but yeah, it's it's refreshing to see. Uh, big fan. Yeah, but uh, still just one point for Sheffield United. They're now six points from safety. Uh, no team has ever survived relegation after starting a season as badly as them. Do they need to change their manager to have any hope of staying up, or do you think they stick with Chris Wilder even if they end up being relegated, Phil? Ooh, I think they're they're done already, honestly. Yeah. Um, and I know anything can happen, but I just don't see where any upturn in form is is going to come from. Maybe they'll get like a couple of results here and there, but you just look at them and teams have completely figured them out from last year and they're not scoring goals. It's quite simple. They, they don't have any goals in the team um, and you can't win any games if you don't score goals. So I think Chris Wilder has deserved, you know, he's got some credit in the bank to to earn, you know, him sticking around with the team even when things aren't going well and maybe dropping down into the championship and rebuilding again. 
um, with some top-level experience could be a good thing for them. But I think if they stay up this season, it would be a miracle. Like, <laughs> uh, because, yeah, like you said, no team's done it before and, and I can't see where they're going to do it. Mm. All I'll say is Sam Allardyce is out there and he's getting stronger by the second. <laughs> <laughs> It's coursing through his veins. <laughs> yeah, that 40 points. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they've gone 15 games without winning now, going back to the end of last season, and 14 of those are defeats. They've got Man United at home on Thursday. As daft as it sounds, Joel, I wouldn't be surprised if they won that game, would you? Uh, I think any other campaign, maybe. I don't know. I think this one's just possibly beyond the map. Yeah, I'd be very surprised. I think the thing is, and. and I think the the result last week against Leicester was the one that I think finally killed them off because if they come out with that with a draw, I think, you know, okay, you can regroup and you can work with that, but you go and concede in the last minute the way they did and, and it goes under the context of the rest of the season where they just keep on losing games and they're used to losing. I think that's the one that's put the final nail on the coffin. And I just think Southampton eased past them yesterday and I think even Man United as inconsistent as it can be I, I, I just think they, they need Griff and I'm there to be good for 30 minutes and they mm. need to pass Sheffield Knights on Thursday as well mm. uh, Well the best derby in the Premier League this weekend saw Aston Villa win 1-0 at Molyneux in Saturday's early kickoff. Uh, Robert Plant from Led Zeppelin's a big Wolves fan and apparently he was in the stadium for this one but he won't have had a whole lot of love for a size performance will he Phil? <laughs> yeah it, was, it wasn't it wasn't great um, I don't know it, they obviously Raul Jimenez is, is a big mess, a uh, big miss. Sorry, um, but I don't know. They've got talent in the team, but they just never really seem to connect. Um, I thought that that front three was was really good against Arsenal, but when Villa sort of sat back and and said, "All right, now you have to trouble us a bit," I don't think they had enough in them. Um, but yeah, take nothing away from from Villa's performance. I thought they were really good again. So. Um, after last season this is a, a big compliment to Dean Smith mm. we said on the podcast a few weeks ago that you can always tell when Mike Dean is the referee and this game was no different 10 yellow cards and 2 reds would suggest it was a dirty game but it really wasn't was it Joel I mean that, that second yellow for Gian Martino was a joke I thought Mike Dean didn't need to do that at all he didn't need to send them off it, it, it wasn't even a foul um, and the fact it was pretty much the last Point of the game, the ninety-fifth, ninety-second minute. Mm. You know, now Martinez suspended for another, you know, a whole another game. It's ridiculous, really. But you know, Mike Dean is the king of the world, and he, <laughs> he takes his chance as well. He, you know, got what is it, three thousand? Three thousand yellow card that was. Yeah, what a milestone for the great man. <laughs> I, I deserve it. He, he holds those cards with, with glamour and pride, and. You know, I made up for him, to be honest. <laughs> That's uh, two defeats on the bounce for Wolves, though, since winning at Arsenal. They, are, they did have chances to win this game, but they couldn't take them. Do you think that suggests that Raul Jimenez is pretty much irreplaceable in terms of the players they've currently got at their disposal, Phil? I mean, losing someone like that would, would impact any team. I don't think it's just going to impact Wolves. But, you know, it's, it's obviously a big miss because when you do look at the numbers, they are pretty much reliant on him to score the goals. Um, and they lost Jota in the summer, obviously. So... I mean, Pedro Neto and is is a big talent, and Podence has been decent since he came in, but they don't quite have that sort of X factor that he has, um, and they kind of need a, a way to to work around that because 
with like as we said before, without goals, you're not going to win many games. So I think they have it in them, but it's just going to take a bit of tuning for them to to get it out of the team. Yeah. What What have you made of uh, Fabio Silva's Wolves career so far, Joel? He, he hit the post here, but he's still waiting for his first goal since that 36 million pound move from Porto. I think this was his first Premier League start. To be fair to him. Yeah, he was unlucky. You know that shot was you know was decent. To be fair to him, and I'm I'm not quite sure what to make of him so far. But he's he, like you just say, he's not had many opportunities just yet. I mean, he's going to get them now, so you know we'll see. I I do wonder whether if he wasn't a wonder kid on Football Manager, whether there would be serious question marks raised about <laughs> spending that kind of money on him. Uh, so maybe his reputation to do himself some justice there, um, but he just—it doesn't, doesn't look physically like he's—he's going to pull a tree this season. So it's going to take some time for him to to adjust to it. But um, you know, we'll see. I mean, he did score two goals in the Papa John's Trophy against Doncaster under twenty three. So that's what you spend your thirty six million for, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, I suppose so. Yeah, get a piece of the action. Um, we'll, we'll, Wolves sold Matt Doxey and Diogo Jota this summer, and they signed Nelson Semedo and Fabio Silva, making a 17 million loss in the process, which perhaps suggests their special relationship with George Mendes might not be all it's cracked up to be. Uh, but Villa have won four or five away games now. Um, what is it about them that makes them such a good away side, do you think, Phil? Uh, it's sort of become a joke um, because. You know, English pundits get quite a lot of stick for reducing everything down to pace and power. But Mm. I think if you look at especially the front three for Villa or, you know, Grealish, Watkins, they've got Ross Barkley. I know he's injured at the moment, but he's got a lot of drive in midfield. Douglas Luiz, Tyrone Mings is an absolute unit as well. So I just think they're sort of well suited to to English football in terms of personnel. Um, And maybe they're the win the other day was slightly fortunate in the way it, yeah. it, it panned out but I just think they've got a nice blend of, of physical quality in that team and which means they can pretty much stay uh, competitive in every game um, and you know if you're comparing this team to, to the one of last season is just quite incredible really because they look almost unrecognisable so mm. um, I think Dean Smith has done a really good job to to, to change their fortunes around and obviously keeping Jack Grealish was a was a big 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 bonus for them because you know United were linked and Arsenal were linked but I think they did a really good job and and they've tied him down now so you know who knows maybe they can push for Europe or maybe not Europe but uh, for sure they'll be in the uh, in, in the top half of the table I think so yeah. they've they've really impressed me actually yeah I thought Emmy Martinez had a really good game in goal as well here and this was Villa's yeah. fourth stoppage time winner since the start of last season which is twice as many as any other team so you don't want to switch off on them right at the end either uh, Newcastle heaps more misery on struggling West Brom when they won 2-1 at St James Park on Saturday given all the problems Newcastle have had with coronavirus lately do you reckon this was the best result of the weekend Joel? So, I mean, you know, I think it's fair to say, to be honest. I mean, you listen to see Bruce first match comment, it sounds like it was horrific what happened there. Mm. And um, especially you mentioned about Isaac Hayden being in bed for 10 days, and then Hayden comes in, plays out of position at centre half on, on, on Saturday, and, you know, puts in a man the match performance. And, and that's absolutely fair play to him in, in, in doing that. And, you know, it's there's maybe a, you know, a question for another podcast about the long term effects on footballers. That the you know the virus is going to produce, but the thing they can get out of bed and, and, and after ten days of being stuck in and and, and go and do that, it's you know, it's incredible. To be mm. fair, and but, but yeah, I mean, what a great advert for the coronavirus that is. 
fantastic. <laughs> I suppose on the flip side, West Brom losing to COVID-stricken Newcastle has to be considered one of their worst results of the season, doesn't it, Phil? Yeah, it's not it's not a great look. But I actually thought they were quite decent in the second half. Um, they just couldn't couldn't find the back of the net, and then obviously they get sucker punched at the end. So it just it just speaks to a general lack of quality. I mean, they had a good season last season, but when you look at the squad name by name, how many of those players do you think are Premier League players? Mm. Um, there's not too many, which is a you know, I mean, they've got. 50-year-old Branislav Ivanovic playing at the centre-back. <laughs> so uh, it doesn't, you know, bode well. Um, so, yeah, it's not a great result for them. And I think Bilic has has every reason to be worried heading into Christmas. I mean, there's already talk about him, uh, you know, being one or two results away from losing his job. So, you know, they're just in a sort of perpetual cycle of getting promoted, having a bad run, sacking the manager, going down, coming back up. And it's just how do they get out of this, you know, because they're not exactly loaded and they don't have, really have any young players either that can generate some income. So mm. I don't know. It's just, they're just sort of stuck in this perpetual cycle. Um, but yeah, I did think they were a little bit unlucky um, on Saturday, but uh, I'm not expecting too much from them this season. Mm. Well, that's five defeats in the last six now. Billich was saying afterwards that he doesn't feel his job is under threat. Do you think it should be though, Joel? I mean, or, or do you think he's a, a bit lucky that uh, he's sort of existed in this climate where Premier League clubs haven't sacked a manager yet this season? Yeah, I think that, I think that's it. To be honest, um, there probably is a case that Premier League clubs can't really afford to sack their manager this mm. season, or or not often anyway. And but I. It never ever struck me from the from the start of the season that started with just girl last season at West Brom. It's never ever felt right to me, mm-hmm. uh, to be honest. And I think that's going to be. I think he's going to be the first one, and I expect that move to happen before Christmas. To be honest with you, <laughs> um, I, but I, I mean, like like Phil just alluded to there. I, I don't know what they're going to do to stay off. I mean, maybe maybe you know we mentioned earlier on about about Big Sam. Maybe that's maybe that's the move because <laughs> he's done West Brom yet, has he? No. Oh, is he not? Sort of feels like he has done, yeah. But. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I, I can see him at the half phones and slogging away. Didn't so, he play for West Brom? Yeah. I think he might have done, you know. Yeah, then that might be. I've it. got no idea. Yeah. Uh, well, look that up when you get when you get home. <laughs> I really hated that hat Slava Bilic was wearing during this game. I can't really explain why. Yeah, why? He looked like it a condom, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 Too tight, Slavin. No wonder you can't can't win games. You're sucking all the oxygen out of your brain. Uh. <laughs> um, Char- Charlie Austin came off the bench in the second half of this game. Is it me or does it not feel right that he's still a Premier League player, Phil? Sort of feels like we've, we've, I don't know. We've, we should have moved past that by now. Yeah, kind of, but he's kind of just there, isn't he? So there, yeah. there wasn't much to lose by chucking him on. So Because, I mean, when you look at that team, he, if you look at anyone to score, it's going to be him. So... But yeah, I just feel like, just in general, there's such a lack of quality in, in the side, um, bar maybe one or two players. So for me, I, I, I never really expected too much from them. So, you know, I can't really say that. It's a surprise that they've lost five of the last six. So, yeah. Yeah, I suppose you could say the same about Dwight Gale, though. And he, he uh, came off the bench and, and scored his first goal um, after coming back from injury. Do you think he, he could be a pretty valuable asset for Newcastle this season, Joel? I mean, quite possibly. He's always something that surprised me that he always seems to, you know, get on, on score sheets on, on regular occurrences. That, you know, when, when he has regular runs in the team, anyway. Um, 
Dwight Gale haunts my nightmares on a regular occurrence. <laughs> oh, Crystal yeah. Ball. I can still picture him now, yeah, with with his arms flying around uh, <laughs> after he's made a free free. So I, I don't like talking about Dwight Gale, but it, it's something that it, I mean, Newcastle got Callum Wilson, and he's going to box off that that position for them. But it's it's not a bad option to have, is he? Um, yeah. Especially Randy Carroll is fit enough to make the bench. He, if you've got Gale to bring Gale to bring on, and you can go four four two and start putting balls into the box like like they did on Saturday. It's it's not a bad asset to have to go through. Yeah. yeah, he's not top quality, Gale, but he, he knows where the net is, doesn't he? He's he's a decent finisher. Uh, bit of trivia for you. Did you know that West Brom goalscorer Darnell Furlong is the son of former Chelsea, Birmingham, and QPR striker Paul Furlong? Oh, I, I did not. You, you do now. <laughs> This is what this is what the listeners come oh, for. Oh, absolutely, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the weekend kicked off on Friday night with West Ham coming from behind to get their first victory at Ellen Road for twenty years. Although, admittedly, Leeds were out of the division for most of that time, wasn't it? So it's not that much of a start that one. But anyway, uh, Mateus Click put Leeds one 0 up early doors with a penalty that had to be taken twice. Lucas Fabianski saved the first one, but was then judged to have stepped off his line. West Ham weren't happy about that decision. Can you understand why, Phil? Yeah, honestly, I just find this having to stay on your lines so difficult because how how do you expect goalkeepers to save a penalty when like professional footballers are shooting at them from twelve yeah. yards um, and they can't get any spring in their in their step because they have to keep one foot on the line? I mean, obviously, there's there's no clear way to regulate it um, because obviously. If there was no law against it, then goalkeepers would stand, you know, right in front of the ball. Yeah. Um, but it's just, I don't know. I, th- I think it gives the strikers such an advantage, um, and especially now, it's almost like when VAR was first introduced. I was sort of waiting for every goal to be disallowed. Yeah. Now it's, I get that feeling with penalties. Like as soon as the goalkeeper saves the ball, I'm sort of waiting for the referee to whistle and have him retake it. <laughs> so I don't know. It's just there's what? no way to win with that. You know? That's the stupid thing about this rule, though, is that if the penalty is scored, it doesn't get retaken whether the goalkeeper well, comes it. off the line or that's not. That's it. I'm pretty sure the Salah penalty at Fulham, the goalkeeper came off his line a little bit there, and it was it wasn't retaken. Obviously, I mean that that surely suggests yeah. that the goalkeeper coming a centimeter off the line isn't that advantageous if you can still score past them. Maybe, yeah, true, true. Maybe there should be like a tiny box with inside the, within the six yard box that they're allowed to like go wherever they want in. Or are we just That's get, what football needs. Are we just getting a bit more too boxes. Com- more boxes? More boxes, yeah. More boxes, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there was four minutes between the first penalty being taken and the second one being taken, which I think was probably yeah. what West Ham were really annoyed about, and I don't blame them on that one, to be honest. Um, the second goal was an unstoppable header from Angelo Ogbonna. He's quietly having a really good season for West Ham, isn't he, Joel? Yeah, he's been great. I, I wonder if David Moyes has been showing him videos of Phil Jagielka. <laughs> <laughs> to Rio Ferdinand, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, he's, he's been crazy. He's been really solid, and I think he's going to benefit of West Ham playing at back three. So, it, you know, the pressure is is off on him to an extent because he has got two other lads outside of him. And, and, and West Ham, in general, been great. The, the shape has been you know, brilliant, and I, I, they were a, a real joy to watch on, on Friday night, which is, I don't think I'd, I'd ever imagine myself saying that about David Moyes' team. Um, but, but with Ogbonna, he's, he's always one solid at the back, but he's always someone that you, you always imagine he, he gets him to score sheet quite a bit for, mm. for a defender. 
Um, and, he's and massive, isn't he? That's why. Well, exactly. He's got a good awareness in, in, in the box. Of, you know, fair play to him. Yeah, that was a bullet header. <laughs> um, Phil, do, do you think Marcelo Bielsa naming his entire eleven in the pre-match press conference might have been a bit adv- ill-advised in hindsight? Maybe even, maybe even a bit disrespectful to West Ham? Nah, I just thought he was confused by the question, and he was like, "Oh, it's, yeah, it's not, it's not a big deal for me." Here you go, here's my eleven. Yeah. Um, I, I honestly think we overplay that a bit um, because I mean, he could have said that eleven and then picked five different players yeah, on true. match day. Um, so I mean, I'm not sure it, it really gave David Moyes that much of an advantage. Um, and I thought it was just quite funny how he was so nonchalant and just gave, you know, <laughs> uh, I, I thought it was quite funny how the translator was trying not to laugh when he was doing it. Cause you know, the question was supposed to be like a serious one from the reporter and he was just like, no, here's, here's who's playing. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think it was just a quirky, you know, Bielsa thing to do. I didn't think it was, um, I, I, I'm not going to look too much into it. Yeah. Do you think? Um, do you think Joel that Bielsa is worthy of all the myth- mythology around him, or does he still have a lot to prove for you? I mean, I'm just looking at the, the league table really. In Leeds, they've got four wins from the first twelve games. Now, in a normal season, that might have you know you might have been a bit worried about them for for relegation. But you know, given how crap everyone is at the bottom, you, you're not really. Do you think it's maybe a bit too easy for them, and, and perhaps giving Bielsa a bit of a free pass? I mean. Th- Talk about the mythology of the guy. I mean, I'm not going to dispute the fact that he's influenced play uh, managers such as Pep Guardiola and, and Mauricio Pochettino. So he, he probably is worth his metal to an extent. And um, you know, he, he's always been the team's always been great to watch. But he's never won that many trophies. But he, he's always been quite honest about that. About that. Mm-hmm. So maybe there is something there. But 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 no, I I think the thing is really. They don't suit playing at home in the Premier League at the moment. So they've not quite worked out how to play at home, um, and, and not that it has that much of a difference at the moment anyway. But it, there is something in the fact that they're not winning games at home, but they are doing very well away. Mm. I, I think they'll be fine, and I, I, they are enjoyable to watch. And you know, I, I, I think they're going to. They just need to find a way to sort of suit themselves being in the Premier League because they go put performance in like they did against Aston Villa where they, they win 3 0 and when they played Everton the other week they only win one 0 but that, that game could have easily been you know six five. Yeah. Um, but but then obviously they, they go and put something like on, on Friday night against West Ham where you know they were second best all the way through. Um so it, it just they just need to find that sort of common ground, that sort of like middle ground to be honest with you. I'm not sure where that comes at the moment but I think they'll be more than fine. If, if Leeds finish 10th at the end of the season, I don't think they'll be surprised. Mm. Well, that's four wins out of five for West Ham now. They're sixth in the league. What do you think they should be targeting for the rest of the season, Phil? It's very cliche, but I don't think they should be making any targets. I yeah. just think they should be taking each game as it comes because I think it's much easier to play that way. I mean, obviously, within the club and, and, and Moyes will have their own personal targets. But I think in terms of, you know, what they actually want to do as a team. I just think they need to keep building on what they're doing. Um, I think they, they've they done a really good job to turn things around so quickly and Moyes has, has done well to change the narrative around him. Um, and, you know, they've got some really good players, especially, you know, it's not something you you say about West Ham a lot, but their, their business has been really good. Jared Bowen, Thomas Suchek, uh, the, the, the right-back Kufal as well, for example. So, mm. you know, is this a a turn for them I don't know but it's nice to see them doing well because I think another season of sort of up and down 
football wouldn't have really helped anyone. So Moyes has done really well to sort of steady the ship. Yeah, playing football the West Ham way. It's back. <laughs> West Ham way. West. <laughs> yeah, no, that no one knows what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've saved the worst till last this week because what was supposed to be the best game of the weekend ended up being one of the worst I think I've ever seen as Manchester United and Manchester City drew nil-nil at Old Trafford on Saturday evening. It was a dismal derby, wasn't it, Joel? In every way, shape and form. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was It was awful. Um, it's such a shame that that you know, the, the, when Mares hits it at the hair and the one-on-one, that, that didn't go in because it would have been one of the goals of the season, the way that John mm. Stones and Cancelo brought out. Do you know what? I forgot all about that. I just blocked it from. I was. I'd forgotten that game as it was happening. Like it was just <laughs> instantly. As soon as it was I, over, I just forgot about it. I think why why that was the case is that I, the European teams, especially in the Premier League, I think this is the weekend where if the congested fixture period finally caught up with them. And I, 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 you know, watching all the games of the weekend, all of them were knackered and dead at sixty minutes. Yeah. Especially in the Manchester derby. I think that's that's just what that, that's why we got the game that we did on on, on Saturday, you know, you know at Old Trafford, and I just wonder whether it got to a stage where both these teams knew that they couldn't produce ten minutes of you know good football or do enough to win the game, and they probably just both shook hands at nil nil for mm. let's just write this one off and you know we'll go again next week because. Yeah, it was it was dire, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean that's right. What you're saying, it didn't look like either side really wanted it wanted to win it enough for me. And I thought before the game that this was a must win for both teams. I thought City needed a, needed a win to sort of keep the pressure on the teams above them. United needed a win because after the you know crashing out of the Champions League in midweek, they they just needed a, a, to bounce back really quickly. Can you understand why both managers seem pretty happy with the draw afterwards, Phil? No, no, no. I I agree with you. I think maybe I can understand Man United being happy with the draw because it was sort of like damage limitation. Um, because let's say for example they did push on forward a bit and try and win and then they get caught and it you know it doesn't look great being kicked out of the Champions League and then losing at home to City but I don't know I, I felt like City left a bit on the pitch um, I don't think they really pushed too hard to win the game um, I mean I know that their form was picked up recently uh, they, they they've hardly conceded any goals so I mean they, they seem to have sorted that, that out but I don't know I just feel like was there a need to play Fernandinho and Rodri? No. And, uh, I didn't, you know, get Phil Foden on the pitch and try and try and create something. But I thought Sterling was good. Um, I thought he was arguably the the main player to to look like he wanted to do something for City. But yeah, other than him, I didn't really see much impetus from from anyone else and I thought that was quite strange yeah it was it was the lack of changes that really frustrated me from Guardiola as well I don't know what he was watching that he thought oh this is this is going all right I won't I won't bother making any changes here when you've got you know Phil Foden just put him on he'll just run around and he'll do something he'll, he'll create something guaranteed pretty much and I think yeah. it's it's also the weirdest I felt about a game with no fans there it, it really didn't feel right watching a, a Manchester derby in those circumstances it was just like watching 22 men dispassionately doing their jobs and, and not doing their jobs very well for that matter so yeah bit of a disappointing one but never mind and uh, and that's it for this week's episode of the Premier League Weekend Review podcast we got through that nice and quickly I've been Dan Burke and thank you to Phil Costa and Joel Sanderson-Murray for joining me we'll be back next Tuesday to discuss matches such as Everton v Arsenal, Tottenham v Leicester and Man United v Leeds in our last episode before Christmas, so stay tuned for that. <laughs>